Registrations are now open for the 8th Bioceuticals Research Symposium to be held in Melbourne from the 3rd to the 5th of April 2020. To register, please go to bioceuticals.com.au and click on the Education tab. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining us on the line today is Dr. Lewis Ehrlich, a dentist who's passionate about the many links between oral and general health. His mission? To educate people to take control of their own health and prevent oral health disease, and in turn, overall health disease. Lewis is a highly sought after holistic dentist who graduated from James Cook University with the academic medal. Before studying dentistry, he completed a Bachelor of Science at Northeastern University in Boston, USA. Lewis practices, along with his father and uncle, at Sydney Holistic Dental Center. Lewis is also a bone marrow donor, and this, he says, is his proudest achievement. Welcome to FX Medicine. Lewis, how are you? Good, thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Now, this seems an obvious question, but I think it's largely ignored by even seemingly well-educated people. Why prioritise dental health? Well, where do we begin? <laughs> There's, uh, in my opinion, you honestly can't consider yourself to be, to be healthy without a healthy mouth. Um, there, there's so many reasons why that's the case. I mean, if you're talking about the mouth, which has been seen in isolation from the rest of the body for so many years, um, which doesn't make any sense to me. You know, we're talking about uh, eating, drinking, you know, the start of digestion, mm. breathing, um, sleeping is influenced by, by the mouth, you know, how we breathe when we sleep. And if you think that those things are important, um, you know, even breaking down your food and chewing, preparing the food for, for digestion – then you, you really can't consider yourself to be healthy if any of those things aren't, aren't in, in optimal shape and condition. So, um, yeah, hugely important part of the mouth, uh, part of the body. And, and you, like I said, you just can't consider yourself to be healthy without a healthy mouth. When we're talking about dentistry, and, and let's face it, you know, like most people, many people, particularly with a high sugar diet and poor practices, poor dental hygiene, they don't floss, they don't brush enough. How much, if you want good dentition, how much should you be budgeting for, let's say, per year to be able to make sure your mouth is in tip-top condition? Yeah, this is a, an interesting question you raise because it really depends on what kind of a state your mouth is in when you find out what kind of a state your mouth is in. Yeah. So, you know, for example, you might come in and you might have 10 holes in your teeth and mild to moderate gum disease and someone else might come in and have no decay and, and need no work whatsoever besides, you know, tidying up some gingivitis and, and that's kind of a, a, a tricky one to, to answer. It's kind of like how long's a piece of string, but, um, you know, assuming that you were, you were healthy and you, your mouth was in good nick and you didn't need a lot of dental treatment and it was just purely for prevention. I mean, 
a clean every six months. You know, we tend to be creatures of habit. We'll brush the same way over and over again mm. and miss certain spots. And, you know, at bare minimum, at, at six months, you're going to have some sort of gingivitis or inflammation in some areas. So, you know, six monthly cleans, which cost a couple of hundred dollars, um, you know, perhaps some x-rays, um, you know, a few more hundred dollars and, and then, you know, your, your dental hygiene products at home, so your brush and your floss, which you, you know, you should be changing your, your brush head up every six, every three months rather, or mm. when, or when you're, after you've been, been sick or, or you've had a flu. Uh, or interestingly, the research is showing if you store your toothbrush near a toilet bowl, you should be charging it, um, changing it, uh, more frequently. So is that yeah, so? So um, that's airborne, obviously. Yeah. So I mean, just the, the idea of flushing and, and particles actually, you get, you know, you get some aerosols and particles flying across onto your toothbrush, et cetera. Mm. And then you go, br- as graphic as that sounds, you go brushing. With that, um, yeah, so keeping it away from your toilet bowl is a good idea. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you would expect, you know, everyone knows how much a toothbrush costs and, you know, you'd probably be changing that three or four or five times a year depending on how healthy you've been. And, and really that that um, is enough to kind of keep your mouth in good order. Having said that, there's also some some costs involved with, keeping your mouth healthy via diet. So you can't you've obviously got to factor in healthy foods into that as well, I, I suppose, if you're, you know, really doing the math on it. So you mentioned about keeping it away, keeping your toothbrush away from the bowl. And I get you don't want to be cleaning the bowl. You don't want to, uh, an infection issue coming um raising its head. But being on a farm and and you look at cows and they'll lick their bums and they'll clean up their their offsprings you know, bums and things like that, without any seeming ill effects to their dentition, is part of this because of us, because of what we've become, how we've lost our way from our ancestral microbiota? Is this like part of the, you know, the the hole that we've dug for ourselves? Well, I think I think one of the issues that we have with a lot of our dental hygiene products um, and just our approach generally to, to food and our soils and um, treatment of diseases is we take this kind of adversarial approach to bacteria yeah, and we try and obliterate all bacteria. You know, if you, if you remember the Listerine ads where you pop them, the, bomb the mouthwash off. in your mouth and it's like a bomb that, that explode, you know, explodes and kills everything off. I think, you know, one of the issues that we're having is that instead of having this kind of symbiotic, um, mentality, we, we, we take this adversarial approach and, and kill off everything. But, you know, in the same thing that, in the same way that antibiotics kill off the good stuff, there's a lot of good stuff in the mouth that we need to keep, to keep, um, everything in, in order. Um, and, you know, interestingly, I was reading a paper the other day about the link between gum disease and, uh, precancerous stomach. Yeah. Lesions, yeah, and one of the findings that they they showed in in that research was that um, not only were were there high levels of the bacteria that cause uh, gu- rampant sort of aggressive gum disease, they also showed that people that that had um, these precancerous lesions that had gum disease um, had 
a a lack of bacterial diversity. Right. And that got me thinking, is it something to do with the way we clean, you know, and the products we use and the chemical laden stuff that we have that's kind of obliterating some things that, you know, are potentially good in our mouths that are leaving us susceptible to more systemic things. So I think, you know, there's something there. It's food for thought. I mean, I don't know the answers um, specifically, but it certainly does does raise a few questions about the way we approach it. One has to make the decision of which society you want to live in, I guess. You know, we, we live in a 21st century society. We have now a hell of a lot of a marketing um, around the smile being perfect. And let's face it, we associate that initial half of a second that we see somebody's face, we get a first impression about friend or foe. Um, do you have a similarity? So there's a lot of forces at play here. I don't think I'd like to be the first one that doesn't brush their teeth. I've got to say, you know, I don't think I'd like to be that person. That's one of the one of the best things that we can do. It's just, you know, the mechanical removal of plaque and, um, you know, keeping keeping the bacteria friendly rather than a foe um, is really important. And you know, mechanical m- uh, removal of plaque is hugely important for our for our and general health. Mm. But the the kind of question is is whether or not the actual products that we use are, are going too far um, and, and obliterating a lot of the good stuff that we need for our immunity as well. So um, there's some interesting stuff coming out, which i am just kind of been skimming the surface of and going to delve a little bit deeper into it and over the next few months just researching about it. But, you know, this whole probiotic toothpaste and yeah. And, and mouth rinses and things like that. So there could be a bit of a paradigm shift that we see in, in you know, at least certain certain circles of, of dental hygiene products. So, yeah, watch, watch this space. So you mentioned about a long-term sequelae of a, a bacteria that might influence um, diseases in other parts of the body. We know Helicobacter pylori does that. As a dentist, how often do you practically swab somebody or investigate Helicobacter pylori? Honestly, never. Right. Yeah. But you. Um, but but it's a known thing about Helicobacter pylori in the stomach certainly influences cardiovascular disease, endocarditis. Mm-hmm. There are other bugs as well, right? There's a there's a stack of research out there, you know, linking the bugs that are found in deep pockets in your, in your gums that are leaving people more susceptible to, you know, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, you know, um, you know um, breast cancer even, precancerous stomach wow. lesions, um, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, preterm birth weights, um, so, you know, early, early births and difficulties falling pregnant, uh, erectile dysfunction, sperm motility, Wow! Uh, just, just a, a stack of research that's coming out more. You know, every I'm a I'm a massive nerd when it comes to this stuff. I just I'm constantly reading hmm. the, the links between oral health and general health, and it's just crazy. You know, every couple of months, it's you know endometriosis, or it's um, it's you know sperm motility sperm motility you know we we just fo- with that I, I should mention that we just focus so much when it comes to fertility on the woman but it's amazing you know 
how much, I mean, it, it makes sense because it takes two to tango, but um, there's so little out there about, you know, the influence of, of the of the male. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, you know, as a general rule, the the majority of people that come into our practice that are more health conscious tend to be women. And I just tell them, you know, you've got to, if, you, if you're planning on getting pregnant, you've got to get your, you know, your husband or your partner in here and, and get get their gums in tip top shape because there's just more and more research showing those those oral health general health links and it's the bugs that live underneath the gums that cause the most drama the most chronic inflammation and we all know acute inflammation is beneficial but it's that chronic irritation and that that causes the most uh, most problems and that's the stuff that we need to get on top of. You mentioned um, probiotic toothpaste before. I, I recall using lactobacilli, forgive me, lactobacillus acidophilus, uh, with the warning that if you swished it round your mouth, that was fine, but you should clean your teeth afterwards because the acid secreted by the lactobacilli could damage the enamel. Um, but then, you know, for instance, we saw this, uh, it's a New Zealand company that has a really good um, probiotic for reduction of dental caries. Mm-hmm. You know, so is it that seems... Bli- is that bliss? Bliss, bliss, that's bliss, right. Bliss, yes, bliss. Yeah. You know, there you have quite the opposite of what my previous understanding was. What's the truth? What, what should we be doing with the lactobacilli? What's the danger? Um, there's a lot of research showing that, you know, probiotic toothpaste are actually reducing the the amount of streptococcus mutants, which is the main one for... For dental decay, yeah, um, and also reduction in candida actually in the mouth as well. So, what should we be looking for in a toothpaste? You know, can we maintain good dentition with something as simple as salt, um, or do we really need a fully you know formulated toothpaste, albeit from a natural source, or where from? Yeah, it's a, it's it's one of the most common questions I get asked day to day, and one of the things that that you need to weigh up in, in responding to that is is what kind of a state that patient is in yeah. and what their habits are like. So one of the one of the things about being a dentist who thinks holistically, it's not being dogmatic about a particular product or um, you know or ingredient that's in or not in in a product. It's about weighing up that that person's particular risk. And being a bit more pra- pragmatic about it. So, for example, I've got a patient who um, had cancer of the, that spread into his parotid gland, and he had that removed. And he, his mouth is like a desert. It's literally, you know, he's just producing no saliva whatsoever, which is obviously very right. important for neutralising acids yeah. and reducing your risk of decay. Um, and you know, every single time he came in. He had decay under his crown, and then I had to cut off his crown, and then do a new crown, and then um, you know, and on this, you know, on and on this would go. And you know, for someone that has no protection, I, I actually recommended him to use a you know a topical fluoride toothpaste because we just need all the help we can get in his case, you know, because what, what's what, the end point is that you know he continues to get decay and he and you know if the decay is underneath the gums and down into the roots you've got to, you've got no choice but to extract it and am I doing him a, a favor if if he doesn't have natural teeth to 
mm. to chew and break down his food. And yeah. then there's other people that are 41 years old. You know, I've got a patient who's 41 years old and he's used a natural toothpaste, no nasties in it whatsoever, has never had a filling in his life, eats an impeccable diet, he's brushing and flossing all the time, he keeps his regular appointments. You know, he's a, he's a, a model patient. And, you know, for someone like him, just the mechanical removal of plaque, um, you know, and, and excess food that can get trapped in the mouth and in the gums, et cetera, what he's doing is absolutely fine. So it's really case by case. Yeah. So personally, I try and go as naturally as possible, and we know that mechanical removal of plaque is the main thing, but it is also, you know, primarily tooth decay is a disease of diet. So yeah. if you're not yeah. looking after that, then, you know, the decision on what toothpaste you use is influenced dramatically by what you're putting in your mouth. And then we go to, you spoke about mechanical removal. So obviously the type of brush that you choose, we've now got, you know, brushes that have, what is it, 20,000 revs per minute. Um, I'm waiting for us to get grinders out, but anyway, um, <laughs> but but also flossing. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's very important and I would say, you know, one of the one of the questions in our in our medical history form is, do you floss your teeth? And I would say, on average, probably, if I was to guess, ninety percent would say no. Even knowing, still, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like maybe you know, one a week or one every two weeks, but it's not a regular thing like it should be. And a lot of people, yeah, it's, it's kind of annoying to get your fingers in your mouth, and you know, it's. it's tricky and you need to learn some technique and find a product that, that works for you. Um, but a lot of people don't actually know why they floss. And once you actually educate them on that, they're, they're far more likely to do it. And, and what you're actually trying to do, we know that the bacteria that live underneath the gums cause the most inflammation and some of the, the systemic diseases that I've actually you know, mentioned previously. Um, the bacteria that live underneath the gums are the ones that leave you more susceptible to those things because they're they, they live without oxygen. So you can imagine how tenacious yep. they are. They're yep. you know they're anaerobes, and what you're actually doing with your floss is you're not tr you're not trying to get rid of all all the bacteria. You know that's kind of adversarial um, mentality again. What you're actually doing is basically putting oxygen down into a an area where oxygen right. doesn't live to make the bacteria a friend rather than a foe. So um, once people actually understand why they're doing it, you know, I, I grab my floss and I'm like, oh, I've got to get the oxygen down there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a bit more of a motivating factor if you know actually what, what you're doing. And then, you know, the, the upside of it is that you're re reducing your risk of dental decay because your brush can't get to the areas in between the teeth, but yeah. you're also reducing your risk of all those systemic diseases that I mentioned previously. Right. What about, I, I've seen somebody use, um, it's, I don't know whether it's an airborne pick, but it certainly emits a sound kind of like when I get a clean, um, mm -hmm. but it's, a, it's mm -hmm. like a handheld device. The water picks? Is that what it is? A water pick. Mm. So what do you do? You fill up a, like a cartridge, if you like, almost like the battery yeah. compartment, and then it goes to work, does it? Yeah, and then it just it's quite quite a powerful rush of water into the the gums. And personally, I haven't used it, mm. um, but I've read some studies that show it, it's actually quite effective. And in some studies, show that it's more effective than floss. So oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one. But 
I'll have to double check if if that uh, research was sponsored by a, a water pick company. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah that's, that's the obvious <laughs> question to ask. I think I yeah. think in both cases, though, I think the old adage um, that was spoken to me by my dentist: "You only have to floss those teeth that you want to keep." Yeah, <laughs> remains great, intact. It's a great, it's a great quote. Yeah. yeah. Well, but how Very. long has flossing been around? Johnson and Johnson um, brought out a, like a silk. Un, unwaxed floss in the late 1890s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it was established in like 1815 or 1819 or something wow, like that. Wow, And And the guy, the guy that discovered it um, believed that that was the most important thing um, for your oral health, basically getting to the to the real source of disease, he called it. Yeah. Um, which makes you know a bit of sense in hindsight with all those bugs that live underneath the, mm. the gums. So yeah, they were onto something. But yeah, I mean the other thing as well is that um, you know it's it's really important to 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 not only do the right thing by your own health, but I think you've also got to think a bit a bit holistically about you know the environment as well. Um, and a lot of dental products. Go into landfill. Um, yeah. You know, in in Australia, we use about thirty million toothbrushes a year that go into landfill. And Whoa. you know, I've I've been our practice has actually had their own. We've we've made our own um, or got them made um, some bamboo biodegradable toothbrushes. So um, you know, if we can do some good for our teeth, but also for our environment, it's. Um, it's a good thing as well, and and that's you know that's an important thing to think about. We tend to always think about our health and we think about ourselves only, mm. but it's it's a good thing to keep in mind. And even like floss, you know, a lot of floss has got Teflon all over it, which is pretty tough to break down. So there are some brands out there that are actually biodegradable, so you can track down them as well and and do the right thing by your your, your mouth and the environment. Can we put those links up on our FX Medicine website? Yeah, sure. Brilliant. I'll get those off you later and we'll put them up on the fxmedicine.com.au website for our listeners. Uh, what about simple things, even like mouth hydration, Lewis? Like I remember, you know, typical snorer and you wake up and your mouth is dry and I've always, you know, and pasty and horrible despite having mm-hmm. cleaned your teeth that evening. It always feels like in the morning you really need to clean your teeth. So yeah. what about these simple things about chewing gum after a meal and mouth hydration? Yeah, thinking a little bit more holistically about the chewing gum side of things, um, we know that chewing stimulates saliva, which has got a lubricating and flushing effect and reduces your risk of gum disease but also tooth decay. So that's really important to keep your mouth hydrated. Um, but the other thing as well is that the majority of people clench or grind their teeth and that puts a lot of force on the muscles of mastication, jaw joint, chronic pain, orofacial pain, et cetera. Gotcha. And then, and then for people to, you know, that are stressing their jaw out throughout the nighttime, mouth breathers all, you know, are renowned for clenching and grinding because their tongue should be at the roof of the mouth and they should be breathing through their nose. And if that doesn't happen, what can happen is you, your tongue's obviously connected to your lower jaw and it can drop into your airway and it's a natural reaction to 
kind of drive your tongue forward mm. to get it out of your airway, but that's when you start clenching and grinding your teeth. So you're making something that should be a relaxing time into quite a stressful time when you sleep. Mm. Um, and and that has a range of health problems like sleep apnea and all those sorts of things. But the people that clench and grind, I digress a little bit, the people, people that clench and grind their teeth because of some sort of airway disturbance or snorers or what have you, they're stressing their their jaw out potentially hours and hours at night. And then if you go prescribing them, you know, chewing gum, they're using all their muscles and mastication throughout the night time, stressing their jaw joint, and then you want them to go and chew on gum all day. Right. You, you know, so it's not it's not so simple if you if you think outside the box a little bit. What I would have a tendency to say is always stay hydrated. Try and steer clear from the you know the diuretic stuff like loading up on coffee and um and eating natural healthy crunchy foods when you actually do snack because the very act of mastication chewing will stimulate saliva so you know nuts and celery and um, carrot sticks and things yep. you know that's that's really good stuff for promoting saliva and you don't have to be chewing gum all day. You know, it's just, it's just a small period of time where you're, where you're having a snack and then you can stay hydrated after that. And that's enough. I had a thought about prevention versus repair. And I guess where I'm thinking here is regards to, as you mentioned, gum disease. (laughs) Can you, can you repair regression of gums? You once you've lost bone, basically everyone thinks that gum disease affects the soft tissue only. But what's happening there, just just for people to kind of get a grasp before I answer your question, is that it's a disease of bone as well. So you've got plaque and you know pretty nasty bacteria that live underneath the gums, and your body's pretty intuitive and it'll do anything to avoid an osteomyelitis, so mm. a, a, you know a bone infection, and it'll actually run away from the irritation. Um, once you've lost bone, you can never really get it back per se. You can only stabilize it. Yeah. Um, you can get some improvement. You, you can get improvements in pocket depth. So when we, you've probably been to the dentist and you've heard all the numbers call yeah. out one, two, yeah, one, four, two, yeah, five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What we're measuring there is the height of the gum to the underlying bone, essentially. And you can, you, you definitely can reduce pocket depth through. Good diet, good brushing, deep cleaning, etc. Um, but bone height itself is kind of a, a tricky one to to get back. And the higher the number, the more gum regression, correct? Yeah, the deeper the pocket, and that yeah. that means that there's going to be more aggressive bugs there. So it's just like a perfect reservoir for bacteria to live in an, in a anaerobic environment. Can you comment about, um, I've heard this, I've never done it, but oil pulling. Have you come across this? Yeah, yeah, I do it. Yeah, and? Yeah. Does it um, so like, yeah. Does, how well does it work? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. The, the There are some small studies that show that it's quite quite effective at things at reducing things like gingivitis, which is a reversible condition, um, Not not like your full-on gum disease with the bone loss and the aggressive bugs and all that sort of stuff, not so effective with that. But in smaller studies, it's been shown to help reduce gingivitis. We've certainly seen that in our practice as well. Yeah. Um, the idea is that the oil in it, the, the lipids, the, the basically pull plaque from underneath the gums, and hence oil pulling. So it's a teaspoon or a tablespoon of coconut oil or 
um, sesame oil in the morning, flushing it, swishing it around your mouth, and obviously don't swallow it because you're pulling all those bugs out. Um, and don't spit it down your drains either because you'll have a plumbing problem. <laughs> um, always, a, always a good tip. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've actually seen some positive results in our practice for reducing, you know, gingivitis, bad breath, um, and you know, some mild, mild gum disease. Yeah. And there are some studies that support it, albeit very small studies. Yeah. So coconut oil was it, and sesame yeah, oil. Coconut oil, sesame oil, yeah. But I, I mean, we just recommend coconut oil. Coconut it's oil, so re- readily available, and um, the taste is is not too bad. No, and forgive me. So you swish it around your mouth. Was it two minutes? No, it's actually fifteen minutes. Fifteen yeah. minutes, right? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So not many people actually have that kind of time. So the way I've kind of done it at, at my house is I'll put it. I'll, I've got a jar of coconut oil. Yeah. In my shower with a teaspoon. I always have a morning shower. So the moment I pop in the shower, I'll pop it in my mouth, start swishing it around. By the time I'm out of the shower, dried and dressed, I'm done. And then I go about my, my day. Yeah. So you can, you can find the time, but it is a bit of a commitment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's great advice, I think, because I've always been very curious about this. Pe- people sort of cried, decrying how it, it's virtues, and I've wondered about it. So you say it's of merit. Brilliant. I'll give, yeah. it a, give it a go. Yeah, I mean, there's there's also people that absolutely think it does nothing. Um, but, you know, there there are some studies out there that, that show it has been Try effective it. And, we've, and, and see if it works for you. It's also a subtle tooth whitener without having to go down the whole chemical, chemical front. So, right. you know, there's some advantages there. So do it, stick with it, and then see if those numbers regress over two visits. Yeah, 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 that's a good good thing to do. What are the top three things that we can watch for in our patients with regards to dentition? Now, you've just highlighted a couple of things at the beginning with me that I've never done, things like fertility. You know, check their dentition. Just ask about it. And, uh, and if there is an issue, then for goodness sake, get it addressed. If there isn't an issue, great. It's from other causes. Um, yeah. But what other things that we sh- should we be looking for in our patients? I mean, I, I think a classic one is just do you do your gums bleed when you brush and floss them? That's really basic, but it's a it's a classic sign of inf- of chronic inflammation, and then that's going to have a a gamut of of um, you know issues potentially you know, your fertility and your heart problems and diabetes, etc. So that's a that's a good thing to to be looking out for. You know, I always say to my patients is. Every time you you washed your hands, your palms started to bleed. You know you'd be in a state of panic. Yeah, that's right. But you know, so many people bleed when they brush and floss their teeth, and actually the the surface area of your gums is about the size of your your, your the palm of your hand. So if you had a sore like that big, you know you you wouldn't be leaving it. Um, you'd be you'd be pretty worried about yeah. it. So. Um, you know, it's a, it shouldn't be overlooked because it's a sign of chronic inflammation. The mouth is one of the most common sites of chronic inflammation. So um, that needs to be addressed. I think also things like chipped, cracked teeth, you know, when people, I can take a, a grinder, just I take people watching to, to a new level, Andrew. I, I'm constantly looking at people's teeth and jaw size and things like that because, you know, if they're, 
if they've got squared off front teeth, you know, there should be kind of a natural curve to the edges, at the very edge of people's teeth. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, you know, your canines, your vampire teeth, are the, the big ones that stand out, they should be V-shaped. They shouldn't be squared off. Um, you know, if you've got really worn down teeth, yeah. then there's some sort of a stress, um, nutritional deficiency, breath, sleep disorder, breathing issue. You know, 80 to 90% of sleep disorder, breathing or sleep apnea is actually undiagnosed in Australia. Um, and, you know, clenching grinding is a, is a sign of, of, you know, potentially poor breathing, poor nutrition, adrenal fatigue, you know, Whole whole gamut of things, so that's something to to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even you know sticking your tongue out and seeing if there's kind of a scalloped appearance, right? Is a, is yep, isn't is a neat thing because what that actually is a sign of is some sleep disorder breathing. So you, like I said, your tongue should be at the roof of the mouth, breathing through your nose. Nose is for breathing, mouth is for feeding, as I like to say. Um, if it's if it's not at the roof of the mouth, it drops into the airway. And those little scallops appearance, you know, these, these indentations on your tongue is actually your body trying to push your tongue out of your airway and there's an imprint of your teeth on your tongue. Right. And that can be a sign of some sort of sleep disorder breathing. Now, we've seen patients that have had chronic fatigue, depression, anxiety for 25 years and no practitioner has ever asked them about their sleep and in our medical history you know about a quarter of our questions are on sleep that's the most important part of the day in in our opinion and you know if you're asking questions we ask questions like are you waking up feeling refreshed you wake up with a dry mouth you wake up gasping for air you know do you wake up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom, these are all signs that you you might be breathing poorly when you sleep. Um, and, you know, we've had, like I said, that patient, 25 years, antidepressants, chronic fatigue, no one asked her about sleep. We sent her for a sleep study based on some of these oral signs but also the answers to those questions. And turns out she had severe sleep apnea. So in an hour of sleep, she was actually not breathing for about 40 minutes. This really interests me, Lewis, because I know somebody who um, denied uh, going to, or forgive me, getting a CPAP or a BiPAP machine um, for years, a decade. And finally, there were new developments in the comfort of the BPAP. And um, so now this person has a BPAP and it was amazing the amount of times that they stopped breathing. Now, we're not talking holding a breath, but stopped breathing, stopped the action Mm -hmm. of respiration. Was something like, I don't know, 80 times a minute or something? And I was going, what? You don't have 80 breaths a minute. And it's Mm -hmm. not got to do with that. But after one week of use, it dropped to 14. He he literally cannot be be relaxed and have a strong immune system and do your day-to-day activities and perform at your best and... If you if you're breathing poorly when you sleep, and mm. you know sleep apnea is linked to depression, anxiety, road accidents, diabetes, heart disease, um, intestinal permeability, fibromyalgia, you know the list goes on. If you're not sleeping well, you you, you know you can pretty much um, forget the rest of your health. Yeah. Um, 
and you know with this lady we you know her apnea hypopnea index was basically an apnea is where you've got complete cessation of breathing for 10 seconds up to a couple of minutes and then there's hypopneas which is a partial blockage of the airway she was her so it's a measure per hour like you were saying with with that patient that, that you were talking about mm. Um, she was having 58 per per hour. So say so, so say she's having you know a minute at a time where she's not well 30 seconds at a time. She for for half of every hour she's not breathing. Yeah. You know. So then we we sent her for a sleep study. She got her CPAP machine. There's other there's other forms. We do mandibular advancement splints for that's where the dentist plays a role in all of this mm. that's why we ask you know a lot about sleep um you, you know if there's mild and moderate sleep apnea that's where you consider a mandibular advancement splint where you hold the jaw forward but in this case she had severe obviously so she needed a CPAP machine she was off her antidepressants she had never felt better um and you know we asked her about this <laughs> her sleep and she said you know, Lewis, I can sleep anytime, anywhere. Sleeping's not the problem. And I sort of said, "Well, hang on, that's an alarm bell. You shouldn't yeah, yeah. You're tired. be sleeping. <laughs> you shouldn't be sleeping <laughs> any place, anywhere. You should be waking up, and you should be refreshed. So, and you know, not need to nap throughout the day. So, yeah, I mean, even just analysing the tongue can be a sign of some sort of sleep disorder breathing. Mm-hmm. What about things like beds and pillows? Can they have a dramatic effect on how you sleep and maybe your breathing and therefore as a sequela your dentition? Yeah, for sure. I mean, sleep posture is really important. Side side sleeping's the best from a postural standpoint, an airway standpoint. Back is okay and stomach sleeping's not good at all because you've got a kink in your in your neck and a kink in your lower back and then you're more likely to mouth breathe and and all those sorts of things, and then you start grinding. And an interesting finding is that that I've seen in my practice is that a lot of stomach sleepers have crowding. They ha- they don't have enough space for their teeth because their tongue is not where it needs to be. Right. And the the tongue is the is nature's best orthodontic appliance. So if it's at the roof of the mouth, it'll always win over the forces pushing inwards by the cheeks and the lips. But if it's not there, those cheeks and lips pressure you know they produce a lot of force Mm. um can actually start shifting teeth and that predisposes someone to a to a narrow airway and then that predisposes people to sleep disorder breathing and it's just this vicious vicious cycle so sleeping posture is very important um, but also from a from a pain standpoint as well you know if you've got a kink in your neck and a kink in the back you know osteos chiros physios you know that keeps them in business um, but it can also create a, a clenching and grinding habit because if you're in pain while you sleep, you'll clench and grind your teeth more than likely. Um, so sleeping posture is important. Um, obviously, you need to have your pillow at the right height. You don't want to have it too low or too high because you've got a kink in your neck there, even if you sleep on your side. Um, a neat little trick is to get someone to take a photo and put some tape down your back from your neck all the way down to your back, mm. the, the top of your bum, and you can actually see where. Oh, right, from the side. The, from the side, yep. you can actually see if there's if it's at the right height, it should be like perfectly aligned. Yeah. 
Um, that's a neat little a neat little trick. Um, but also just what you put on your on your beds as well. Like I I sleep with a dust mite cover, um, and I vacuum my bed with a HEP a HEPA filter vacuum. Yep. Once a week because you know if you have irritations on your you know on your bed then you know you're more likely to get blocked up in the nose and then that will make you mouth breathe if you mouth breathe you you're more likely to get crowding you're more likely to grind you're more likely to wake up and go to the bathroom a whole you need to be running things. courses <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's a, it's a fascinating thing this is why i say that you know health you know the mouth sets the tone to your health and yeah. there's so much more to it than just the the teeth and the gums there's there's breathing there's sleeping there's nutrition and you know all of this plays a plays a role in in good oral health and you know good general health but those sorts of things are are imperative um just little little tips and tricks that can make all the difference to your breathing because you know you sleep for a third of your lifetime you know you you want to be doing it well well, I've got to say, you know, you've certainly answered the question why we should prioritise our our oral health. Um, can I ask a couple of last questions? The first one of which is, you know, you see Japanese cultures and they have a roll to put under their neck and it hyperextends the neck, but it actually seems more relaxing when you do that. And like, I don't know the effect on mouth breathing or anything like that, but it, it certainly does appear to reduce the tension in your neck. Conversely, whenever I go to the dentist, I have to squirm around to try and find the right position to be able to have a hyperextended neck so that my mouth will be open enough for him to shove his hands in my mouth. Mm -hmm. Why are dentists' chairs so horribly designed? <laughs> That's number one. <laughs> yeah. and, and number two, I have to ask, how can people get a hold of these toothbrushes that you guys have had manufactured? So with regards to... The chair, we, I think, I think the dental profession just, we, we just love to go out of the way to make it as unpleasant <laughs> as possible, I think. Um, but yeah, it, our chairs, you know, do have some, some room to maneuver there. So, you know, we, we offer patients different pillows and different heights and all those sorts of things. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's very important to, to be comfortable in the dental chair because, you know, you've got your mouth open for such a long period of time um, and that can stress the neck and the jaw if you're predisposed to neck and, and TMJ, jaw issues. Yeah. And t yeah, TMJ and, um, yeah, I mean, people have left the dental office with locked jaw or neck spasms and, and things like that. So that's why a, a case history before you start is really important. That's why we check the health of the jaw joints and the amount of opening, any deviations and all that stuff, and we record it so that when the patient comes in, we know who's susceptible and who's not. And if you are susceptible, you will give you a, a break, sit you up, have a stretch, come back, do the second filling if you've got two fillings to do or what have you. So... Um, yeah, I mean, they're becoming more ergonomic and more comfortable. So there's always a position that will be more comfortable. But um, yeah, we're we're pretty average at, at making the whole <laughs> experience a good one. But yeah, um, and with regards to the toothbrushes, um, there are some some companies on online that 
do a do a reasonably good good bamboo toothbrush. Uh, our ones we ordered we got about five thousand made um, just to to try and get some you know make some healthy changes in the world. Um, and we give them out to our patients when they come in. So if you want one, come and visit us. But I if, would uh, love to. I'm definitely. I'm, I will be there, mate. I really take my hat off to you guys for thinking about this, about the you know the the wider ethics, if you like, of of your profession. I mean, I think it's a, an important thing, and you know, there's more and more more stresses on the world, you know, with every year that passes. So I think any little positive change is a is a good thing, and just getting some awareness out about how toothbrushes actually go into landfill, and it's just not. Not a good thing. Thirty million toothbrushes into landfill That's every year. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of things to clean cars with. <laughs> to, sure is. To yeah. clean well, car air conditioning vents. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the other thing is don't throw them away. If you're going to make it make the change, actually keep them around the house and use them for for cleaning bathrooms or cars, nag wheels or whatever it is. That yeah you can do with them. Lewis, I can't thank you enough for joining us today and and imparting some of your wisdom. That was really enlightening. You've really opened my eyes to a few things where I thought I had it, you know, down pat, but no. (laughs) So thanks so much for teaching us today. No worries. Absolute pleasure. And we're always on a a learning journey and trying trying to improve the health outcomes for our patients and the wider community. But, you know, I'm always learning every day and some of the stuff that I said today will probably end up being wrong soon, but you know that's the beauty of it all. And well, I look I, I look forward to podcasting with you again at a later date. Maybe we'll investigate some of these systemic diseases. What do you reckon? Sounds great. Excellent. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield Cook. A lot of what we do here at FX Medicine is made possible by the generous collaboration of our many guests and contributors. We extend our heartfelt thanks as we continue our education of evidence-based complementary medicine.